evening, everybody. I know she's going to run off stage real quick, and I don't want to embarrass her, but you guys happen to see she's still going to bail out of here. That was Anna's world debut on the guitar, which is pretty amazing. That's so exciting. I mean, God has gifted her in so many ways. A couple of years ago, she wasn't singing at all. Then she began to sing, and she's an amazing singer. And now God's put it on her heart to start doing guitar. And she's been you know, leading worship with the women's ministries and that sort of thing. And I just, it's such a blessing to see God you know, using her in this way and just watching her grow and flourish. So I know she's going to um, really be a, a great asset to our church and to ladies' ministry and to Thursdays and Sundays and everything as she, as she continues to grow in that. So... Absolutely. Well, this is not the Twilight Zone, me standing up here without a guitar in my hand, which it's a little harder to talk to you. I just there's something comforting about having something in my hands. Like I don't know if it's like I can push you away if you attack me or what. But nevertheless, um, I have the privilege of, of teaching tonight, and I'm glad to see you guys are all here. So let's pray. Father God, what a privilege it is to just to be in your house tonight, Lord God, with, with a group of believers, Lord, that we are all here just with a common purpose, Lord, and that's just to spend time with you this evening, to sing praises and worship you, Lord God, and, and to hear your word, Father God, that your spirit would just move through this place in a mighty way, that each person here would be able to hear what you would have them to receive. Lord God, in, in spite of what I say or don't say tonight, that by your spirit, Lord, you would touch lives in this place, that your word would just um, become real to us, Lord God, knowing that things that were said thousands of years ago apply to our lives today, Lord, and it's the building blocks for which our, our foundation and our faith is based on you, in you, Lord God. So we just ask that you just do a mighty work, and we, we give you all the glory tonight, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue in our, our summer series that we've titled The Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand, we've been spending 10 weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've had, not 10 yet, I think I'm 7, uh, 6 or 7, I'm not sure, uh, of the 10. And we've had, we're going to have 10 different speakers, each, each doing a, a different portion, dissecting the, dissecting the text and, and just seeing how it applies to our lives today. And the, the Sermon on the Mount, what I want you guys to remember as we go through this, while we've broken it down into ten different sections, this was one sermon that was given by Jesus speaking to his disciples. And so we can just see that we can break this down so far, and there's just so much for us to glean out of it. And we could have broken it down even further and, and, and used more uh, sections and, and more teachers and more studies on that. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, I've, I've heard it dubbed before the, the greatest sermon ever told. And as we've been talking about this, almost every speaker, I, I think, has, has called it practical Christian living. There's just a lot of stuff in here for us to use and just to apply to our daily lives. Um, there's, we're only, each of us is only able out to pick out um, certain nuggets, bits and pieces that the Lord puts on our hearts to share with you guys. And when Zeke first invited us to take part in the summer series, um, he asked us to pray about what portion of the scripture that we wanted to teach on. And as I read through these passages, I immediately knew what, what portion of the scripture was speaking to me in my life, and I knew what I wanted to teach on. And this, proportion, this particular portion of scripture um, is something that's very important to me in my life and, and my wife and us as a couple and some of the very first scripture that I ever underlined in my Bible uh, was, was from these verses that we'll be covering tonight. And so tonight we will be in the book of Matthew in chapter 6. And we'll be in verses 25 through 34. You can start turning there if you'd like. We're going to read it in a few minutes. Now the header in my Bible for this topic of these verses says, Do not worry. And so the topic of worry is something that is often discussed. I know in, in my household, in my marriage, we talk about worry a lot. And as I studied these verses, I didn't just want to share with you 
what I think these verses just meant to me and what they've spoken to me over the years, but I really wanted to dig deeper and see what the Scripture is really saying. And most importantly, I wanted to know what God wanted me to share with you guys tonight about, about this topic. And so as I read through and, and prayed many times about this Scripture, and I, and I started studying various commentaries from, from respected biblical scholars on, on what their take on these, these Scripture meant, and I, I even listened to a few podcasts from different pastors that I respect to see what, what they've taught on in this subject in the past. And, and what I came to learn about and understand about these verses was that it really is, in fact, about worry. And so I think the, the cool thing that I, I learned from doing all this and reading this is that while the Bible is such a deep book and there's, there's so much in there that you can dig into and you can grab onto and you can start doing these parallel studies and you can start doing uh, character studies and, and you can start looking at, at how you know, these little fascinating bits of, of information of how these verses relate to these verses from the Old Testament to the New Testament about how these verses uh, fulfilled this prophecy. And there's all that information, you know, and I love digging in and, and finding that stuff, and that's, that's really important to do. But the other thing to remember is that when we're reading through Scripture is that oftentimes the Scripture means exactly what it says. That doesn't mean there's not more there, but on the surface... The scripture applies to our life as it's written and as we can understand it. We don't have to be these great biblical scholars and, and have to have all this knowledge and digging in. We can read these words and we can understand them and we can apply them. And I think that's, that's an awesome thing. And so I just want you to remember that there's simplicity in a lot of this scripture that we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, when it comes to worry, there are a few different types of people in this world, as I see it. There are those who don't really worry very often uh, about about much in their lives, and they're more of the kind of laid back, kind of go with the flow type of person. Not much bothers bothers them, and and not much stresses them out. And when a problem arises in their lives, you know they just they face it when it hits them, and they and they handle it in that moment, and then they move on to the next thing. Now that that doesn't mean that those type of people never worry about everything, because I think everybody worries at sometimes about certain things that that come into our lives and that affect us. Now, in the music word, we do have a name for those type of people who, who don't worry much, and we call them bass players. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've studied bass players very much, but there's a couple in this church. Bass players in almost any band I've ever seen are always the most laid-back, easygoing guys. It's no difference with, with Greg right there or Mark. <laughs> the guys are just laid-back. Not much bothers them, affects them. They're just like, hey, I'm just the rhythm section, man. I'll just play whatever you want me to play. And so, but personally, I, I also happen to fall into this category. You know, it takes a lot for me to actually worry about stuff. I'm, I'm kind of a laid-back person myself, and it's important as we discuss these things and as we think about things that, that if you know people in your lives who aren't worriers, that, that shouldn't be confused with the fact that they don't care. Because I know in my life I've been accused of not caring about things before because I'm not worried about them. But that's not true. I care deeply about things, and it just as other people do, too. It just means we just aren't as, as prone to worry as some other folks are. And then you have people that are far on the other end of the spectrum. And these are the type of wor people who just worry about everything. Everything in their life is something they worry about. I want to give you an example. This is a type of person that, when they're getting ready to go to work in the morning, when they're getting ready to go outside, they start to think, what if my car doesn't start today? And this thought just continues to grow. And they think, well, if my car won't start, I'm not going to be able to get to work today. If I can't get to work today, then I'm probably going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, I'm not going to have any money and I can't make the house payment. And if I can't make the house payment, we're going to lose our house and we're going to be homeless. Now, I know you think I'm exaggerating here, but I'm really not. This is, there's people who think this way, and it's, and it's unfortunate. And this is why we're here tonight to talk about this. But some folks play things out to the worst-case scenario before anything has even happened. Now, this person hasn't walked outside yet, but they're trying to figure out what they're going to do and where they're going to move to now that they don't have a house anymore. <laughs> the reality is, it's a brand-new car. The car's going to start, right? There's nothing wrong with this car. It's perfectly fine. So that's, that's the far extreme on the other end. 
Now, my lovely wife happens to fall into this category. Now, I'm not stupid. I asked her if I could use her as an example first. <laughs> she said I could. So I, won't, I shouldn't be in trouble for this, although she hasn't heard this. Uh, but she did say I could use her in as an example because the reality is this is an area that deeply affects her life. And worrying, as we'll discover as we go through this later on, it's really not healthy. It's really not a good place to be in, to have worry that affects you uh, to the nth degree. But I will label her for now as a, an expert worrier. Now, as an example, she sent me a text last week. Now, keep in mind that this is absolutely a true story. And she didn't know I was going to share this. But the text said, and I quote, You know how I stress out about stuff? Well, I really don't have anything to stress out about right now. So I'm kind of stressing about that. <laughs> I kid you not. But the text went on to say, do you think we should take the truck in soon to get it checked out because the check engine light's on in the truck? So the good news is, before she finished her text realizing she had nothing to stress about, she remembered she had something to stress about and, and all was right with the world again. And so we moved on from there. Okay, and then there's a large segment of the population that falls somewhere into the, the middle of, of those two extremes. People aren't worried always about everything, but there are times when worry and anxiety affects them more, more than we want it to affect us in our lives. And I think that's where most, most people fall. But before we get into the scripture tonight, I want to I define worry for you. What, what is worry? And so the Greek word that's used for worry in the verses that we're going to cover tonight is merimnaho, which means to be anxious or to be troubled with cares. So we know from looking at the original text of the scripture we're going to be talking about that when Jesus is talking about worry to his disciples, it's really the same the same text that we use worry in today in our lives. It, it means the same thing to us today when we talk about worry. But here's another definition of worry that I found that I, I really liked. It says, Worrying is a form of torment that's usually self-inflicted. It is unusual excessive thoughts or anxieties of a current or future event and its outcome. And thinking about that, it may sound extreme, but that's kind of the worry that we're talking about, that we're focusing on tonight. What I liked about that is it, it said it's, it's self-inflicted. And when we, are talking, when we are worried about something, the act of worrying, you know, we usually bring it on ourselves. And even though we, we bring it on ourselves, it's not something that we consciously do. It's something that just happens subconsciously as we, as we dwell on our thoughts and those things. All right, so now that we know what worry is, let's get into the text for this evening. So if you would turn, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.
I want to go back and we're going we're gonna to break down these verses a little bit in depth. So starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In Matthew chapter 6, and backing up a little bit into verse 19 through 21, which Gary taught on last week that was covered, Jesus is telling his disciples not to base their lives around the acquisition of earthly treasures. And so I'm going to read in in 19, just back up a little bit there. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then continuing on in verses 22 to 23, Jesus explains why. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus said there that if you keep your eyes focused on the things of God, your body will be full of light. But if we focus our eyes on the things of this world, then our body is going to be full of darkness. Jesus is basically saying, don't worry about the small things of tomorrow, like clothing. Don't worry about that. We may not even be here tomorrow. And yet we have wasted our last day, possibly in this place, worrying about something that will never come to pass. I find it interesting as I, as I read through this, and I have to remind myself, but as I, that Jesus feels it's necessary to tell his disciples to not worry. You know, I have a tendency to think of the disciples as these, these mighty men of God. And now we know that they didn't start out that way. The disciples are a great example that, that God will use the weak to lead the strong, which of course brings hope to me and, and many of us that we know that God can use us for his glory. But by and large, the disciples were, they were working class men and God chose to use them. But the disciples needed to be taught and they needed to be reminded to trust God. And it's the same for us, just as us. We, we need to be reminded constantly that we're to put our faith and our trust in God. In Proverbs 12.25, it says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Worry, the reality is, worry will weigh us down in our lives more than working. If you worry about something, if something is really heavy on your heart, you get much more fatigued than you did if you were out working hard that day, right? It really does. Worry is more tiring than working. And I know that's been true in my life in times when I've really had to have some stress or anxiety, something looming over my head that I couldn't shake. And it's, a, it's not a, a good feeling to be in that place. Let's move on to verse 26. It says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So we're talking about the birds of the air here. And when we look at the birds, a few things to consider about the birds. Number one, they are always fed. They're always taken care of. But the interesting thing about the birds is that while we know they're taken care of by God and they're being fed, they show us another example, another attribute that is important to our lives. The birds don't sit around and wait to be taken care of. The birds are always working. Birds are active. Birds are out there scavenging for their food. An adult bird does not sit in its nest with its mouth open waiting to be fed. But they go out and actively seek food. But the birds don't worry about the future. Anxious worry shows a lack of trust in God's knowledge and care for each of us. And just as the birds don't worry, the same needs to be true for us. We can find rest and comfort in the knowledge that our Lord will take care of our basic needs. But 
even though we can rest in that, it won't necessarily happen without some action or effort on our part. We cannot lay around all day with the expectation that God will take care of us. We need to go out and work. There's a really good uh, example in the Bible that I'm going to tell you about that Paul gave us a warning. If you guys can turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 6 through 12. <clears throat> it says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we do not... We were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. I guess I went on to 13. Okay. <coughs> we see here in, in Paul's message to the Thessalonians that there's value in staying busy. There's value in our working. So while we are not to worry that God will take care of us, neither should we expect our needs to be taken care of without some effort on our part. We are not to be a burden on someone else. And additionally, we are warned that if we are not busy working, then we can easily become busybodies or gossips. Going back to our scripture, verse 26, it goes on to say about the birds, are you not of more value than they? Will God who feeds the birds starve his children? I think that's a really important point to think about. And going back, I'm going to read in Genesis chapter 1, 26. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down if you'd like. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We can see here that in God's word that when he created us in his image, and God created and gave us dominion over the fish, the birds, the cattle, and over the earth, and we can see from that example right there that God places a higher value on us than on the birds. And if God takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of us? In verse 27 in Matthew, back in chapter 6, it says, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, I really love this reference. This is, this is an awesome reference. It, it's just basically putting out there saying, what good does worrying do? Of what value is it to worry? If you're someone who is short and you want to be taller, will your worrying about that make a difference? Can you worry yourself into being taller? Not only that, but it says a cubit taller. Anybody out here know how long a cubit is? It's about 18 inches, okay? So by me worrying, because I want to be a basketball player when I grow up, 
and I'm going to keep worrying until I grow 18 inches. Not going to happen. I've been 5'10 and a half since I was like 17, hoping to get to 5'11. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Much less 18 inches. It's just not going to happen. Or if we want to live longer in our lives, can we worry ourselves into living longer? No. We have no control over those things. So our worry doesn't accomplish anything in terms of that. Now, in the end, when all is said and done, worry actually does accomplish a few things in our lives. Worry can can do certain things for us. Worry can give us a headache. I've had that happen. Worry can give people an ulcer. Worry can definitely cause lack of sleep. I know people have had many sleepless nights over worry. Or worse, much worse, it can cause a heart attack. It can cause a stroke. Worry can cause serious serious ill effects in your lives. But as we're talking about worry, and I mentioned it a little bit before, I want to make sure that we're not concerning, I'm sorry, we're not confusing our thoughts or our concerns with worry. They're two different things. Paul shows us an example also in his word uh, when he's talking about the church in 2 Corinthians 11.28. He says he has deep concern for all the churches. So we see that you can have concern, which would not be the same thing as worrying. So the difference is between worry, we're talking about anxious worry, and having a healthy concern for something. Now, when we have a healthy concern for something, this is the kind of thing that drives us to action. It makes us respond because there's something we're facing that we need to deal with. And so our worry, our concern in that moment causes us to do something. And that's healthy. That's that's important. We need to have that kind of concern in our lives. So we can have faith that God will take care of us, but faith in these situations takes action. 28. So why do we worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And my wife and I went on a vacation last month to South Carolina, and we went out there to visit my parents who live there. And my mother is a, a certified master gardener. That means she's a good gardener. She she knows a lot of stuff about plants. She knows all the names that we don't know about plants, you know, the, the formal names. Anyway, she has a very beautiful yard, and she has a lot of flower beds all around her house. And she has a few flower beds that are full of daylilies, And so we went to visit her, and we were walking around her yard, and she was explaining to me about the different plants she had, and she started explaining to me uh, about daylilies, which I really wasn't very familiar with. Do any of you know how long a daylily blossom blooms for? Yeah, I didn't know that. (laughs) One day. Kind of seems obvious when you retrospect, looking back at the name. So one one day, a daylily flower blooms one day, and it's died. Now keep in mind that daylilies are these beautiful, intricate flowers. They're, they're big. They have different colors. And when you look at them up close, you can just see this really cool detail. Can you put the photo up for me, please? So that's a daylily field right there. So during our visit, you can leave that up. During our visit, we were dis- discussing about me teaching the message that we're doing right now. And I was telling my parents about the verses that I would be covering. And we started talking about the lilies of the field that's in those verses. And what a perfect example day lilies are to this passage of Scripture. Here you have these beautiful flowers that, that bloom for one day, and then they're gone. But for that one day when those flowers are here, they're beautiful. They're, they're magnificent. Let's look at the next photo, please. There's such intricate beauty in each flower. And each one of these flowers, as we read about, is more adorned than Solomon in all his glory. No matter what riches we have in this world, no matter how much money we have to spend on an artificial cover of clothing or anything else, of jewelry, 
We can't match the beauty that God creates in one of these flowers that are here for one day and then they wither and die. So if God so beautifully clothes the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Thank you. You can take that down if you want. So as we look around us here where we live at God's creation, you know, from right here we can see the, the snow-capped mountains during the winter time. We can see the beauty that pops up out of the desert floor, right? These, these beautiful flowers that come from nowhere. We don't see them there, and all of a sudden this beautiful purple or yellow flower will pop up. And it just, just brightens up the, the brown desert that we look, live in, right? But they draw our attention. Or we can see a beautiful sunset. I think we get more beautiful sunsets here than probably most places in the world. We get these deep red skies. Or on these cloudy days, these kind of stormy, humid days that we've had with these little monsoonal kind of things, we get these, these beautiful clouds with the sun rays that just shine down among us, right? That's one of my favorite things when I see that. It just, it just to me, looks like God's glory is just shining down right on us. You know, it's such a beautiful thing to look at. And yet, in all that, when all the beauty that we see around us, we forget that we were the ones that were created in God's image. We are his pride and joy above all these things. Shouldn't we rest in the knowledge that he loves us more than the birds and more than the flowers? If he takes care of those things, will he not much more take care of us? Verse 31. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. In other words, worrying about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear is something he's saying here that the Gentiles do. The non-Christians worry about those things. They're the ones who are always worried about status and money and those sorts of things. But they're the ones who have to make it through this life without the one true God. We have a big difference in our lives as Christians. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that that work and planning for the future are bad things. As we talked about earlier, even the birds don't sit around and wait. They're out there working. But I am saying that when we worry about the things in this life, when we're acting like non-believers, those who don't have the knowledge and hope of Christ, we're forgetting that God is actively involved in our lives. We're forgetting to trust and obey God. Having things in our, in our life that can cause worry is putting our faith to the test. And it's in those times when our faith is being tested that we need to ask ourselves if we believe God. Do we trust in Him to take care of us the way that he says he's going to take care of us. When talking about worry, I've heard this question asked uh, a number of times over the years, and, and people don't like this answer, but the question is, is sin worry? I'm sorry, is worry a sin? And the answer is yes. If you're worried to the point of something where you're dwelling on it, where you are hung up on that in that area of your life, it is a sin to be there. Because when you're in that place something that goes beyond a healthy concern, then you're taking your focus off of God. Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples in these verses, he is commanding his disciples to not worry. He's not saying you shouldn't worry. He's saying do not worry. Don't do it. But then here's the reason why. Worry in faith are mutually exclusive of each other. You cannot have both at the same moment in time. You cannot have faith that God will provide for your needs and worry about it at the same time. It's impossible to do. Let me say that again because this is an important point. Faith and worry, they're mutually exclusive. They do not fit together. We either are putting our faith and our trust in God that he's going to take us through something or we're worried about it and our focus isn't on him because we're we're too worried about getting something accomplished. 
that we have no control over. So faith and worry cannot coexist. And the Lord says to them, O ye of little faith, because they worry. We can either put our trust in the Lord, knowing that the Lord has you in his arms, or we don't. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is something that's easy to do. It's not. It's hard. No one ever told us it would be easy to be a Christian. Nobody ever said it's going to be easy to follow Jesus in everything he tells us to do. Life is hard. It's challenging, and we deal with things, and we face situations as Christians just as non-Christians do. But there should be a difference with us. There should be a difference in the way that we handle those situations because we have God in our lives, because we have Jesus Christ who gives us answers. And we're going to get into those a little bit more. But we can, when we do get into a place where we can find rest in his promises, it sure does make our lives a lot easier in those times when we find it. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we shouldn't be like those who are in the world. We shouldn't focus on the things society wants us to focus on. We need to be content. We need to be content with the things that we have in our lives. Whether we have a lot of money or we have no money, we need to be content in that. We need to be content with our height because we can't change it by worrying about it, just as we can't change the amount of money in our bank account by worrying about it. Remember this name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now the second half of verse 32 says, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. There should be a great comfort in knowing that our Heavenly Father knows our needs. He's the God of this universe, yet He knows each one of us intimately, and He knows each one of our needs. That's something we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to that truth. God knows exactly what we need in our lives. Now, that's not the same thing as God giving us what we want in our lives. There's an important distinction there. But He knows what we need. And that goes back to being content with what we have. So it's clear that Jesus is telling his disciples not to worry. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we not worry? It's certainly easier to say it than it is to do it. So in practical terms, what what am I supposed to do? Well, let's keep reading and uh, see what Jesus says. Verse 33. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So seek first the kingdom of God. That means that we are to make our relationship with God first in our lives. When we are seeking something, what does that mean to seek? It means that we are to pursue it. We're to, we're to aim our focus towards God. That is supposed to be our first priority. That is what we are to make our business, the business of seeking our Lord. Let all the concerns of this life be made subordinate to the things of the life to come. So everything that we deal with in our world, everything that we face in our world, should be below the things of the kingdom, the things of heaven, the things of our life to come, our eternal life. That's where our focus needs to be. We must seek the things of Christ more than our own things. When we care about the things of this world, we're removing our focus from God. We need to keep our minds on the things above. That's in Colossians 3.2. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. We are to do the work of today, today. And tomorrow, we will take care of tomorrow's duties. Why should we needlessly concern ourselves about things which may not happen tomorrow, or if they do happen, when they come up, that we can easily handle them in that moment. That doesn't mean that we don't look ahead for things. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't prepare accordingly. If your company is struggling where you work and you have a fear that you're going to get laid, you need to go seek a job. We need to be proactive. But we are to make God's sovereign rule 
and a right relationship with him, the highest priority in our life. Worry is inconsistent with God's priority. It doubts the sovereignty or goodness of God and it distracts from the true goals of life from what we should be doing. It's not consistent with God's plan for our lives. That's not what he would have us to do. So ask yourself this. Will worry change the impending trouble? Will worry make the trouble less when it comes? And I know some of you pretty well in this room that say, yes, my worrying about things changes things. But the reality is it doesn't change anything. I promise you that. Nothing changes from worrying about things other than you didn't sleep very well. So this message is not intended to make anybody feel bad for worrying about things. But it's about telling you that worry is not God's plan for your life. That's not what he wants for you. It's about putting our our faith in God. We trust him with our, our salvation. We trust him with our eternity. We will boldly tell others that God created the heavens and the earth. He is a powerful God. He made this entire universe and he knows us by name and he takes care of each one of us. And we each will proclaim that. We truly believe that. And yet, we have a hard time trusting him with our small problems. We have a hard time putting our faith into action in different areas of our lives. And this is one of them. You need to ask yourself, do you trust God? Do you believe his promises and his word? I'm going to share a story with you. There was a pastor who had a a long flight from one place to another. And while he was on the plane, the first uh, warning that there was approaching trouble was when the fasten your seatbelt signs came on. And then after a while, a calm voice said, we will not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. Then later, the voice of the announcer said, we're so sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. You can tell this is an older story because they're still serving meals on airplanes. (laughs) They could have said, we're not going to be able to charge you for peanuts right now. (laughs) And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. And lightning lit up the darkening skies. And within moments, the great plane was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment the airplane was lifted up on terrific currents of air, and then the next it was crashing like it was going to crash onto the ground. And the pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort of those around him. And as he looked around the plane, he could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous, and many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. Then he suddenly saw a little girl, and apparently the storm meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat and she was reading a book and everything with her small little world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes and then she would read again and then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not part of her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid, and the pastor could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, the pastor lingered to speak with the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and behavior of the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. And the child replied, because my daddy is the pilot and he's taking me home. There are many kinds of storms in our lives that affect us, whether they're physical or mental, whether they're financial, domestic problems. And many storms can easily and quickly darken our skies and throw the planes of our lives into uncontrollable movement. And when we look at our lives, you know, it's much easier to trust God when things are going well, when everything's smooth in our lives. There's little for us to do but go through our daily routine. But it's a different story when we're facing a storm, an uncertainty about our future. 
It is in those times that we need to put our trust in God. In those dark times, we need to cling on to the promises of God. It's in those times that we need to hang on tightly to the truth that God knows our needs and that he will take care of us. We need to remember that our Father in heaven is our pilot of our plane. And he is in control and he's taking us home. And we need to rest in that truth. Now for the believer, there is no real need to worry. Consider this verse in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, I found a few quotes as I was uh, just looking up worry and seeing different things. So these aren't biblical quotes, but nevertheless, I think they, they certainly fit into society and our lives today. Robert Frost said, The reason why worry kills more people than work is that more people worry than work. (laughs) There is a difference between worry and concern. A worried person sees a problem, and a concerned person solves a problem. I really like that one. That was Harold Stevens. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. Leo Bascaglia. Mitzi Chandler said, Worry is as useless as a handle on a snowball. I like that. Mary Crowley said, Every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. I love that one. No reason for both of us to be up, right? And this one, who I don't know who said it, but I love it, says, Worry brings tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. I just picture like that's a southern thing. Like somebody with a, Bobby could say that with a southern accent and be sweet. So four times in the nine verses that we covered tonight, Jesus says to his disciples, do not worry or why worry? Jesus then tells his disciples why they shouldn't worry. And he gives them real world examples of how he takes care of the birds and how he closes, clothes the lilies of the field. He then reminds his disciples that they are more valuable than the birds and more valuable than the grass of the field. Then comes the big question. Knowing all of these things, why do you not trust God to take care of your needs, O ye of little faith? Ouch. One question I never want to be asked by my Lord is why I don't believe the promises of God. Why I lack the faith to trust him. We are not to focus on the things of this world as the Gentiles do, the non-believers. Because God already knows our needs before we ask and he will provide for us. So how do we conquer this worry, the anxiety we feel that goes beyond the healthy concern that leads us to action? Well, we do that by seeking first the kingdom of God, by keeping our eyes fixated on him. We need to bring our our wandering thoughts and the thoughts that dwell in those areas. We need to bring those captive and we give it to God in prayer. We have to trust that he is in control and that he knows our needs. Remembering also that his ways are not our ways. It's important to remember that our lives are not perfect. And we need to be content with the things that we are given in our lives. There are things that we must go through in our lives, things that will strengthen us, things that we don't understand. It's the refining fire that we talk about that that will help shape us in our lives. It helps us to become more like Christ. And then Jesus taught the disciples to go through each of the troubles they face one day at a time, handle the problems as they arise. We have enough to deal with on a daily basis. And the things that we think we face tomorrow that we worry about, 
may not even be there. Oftentimes, things we worry about aren't there the following day, and you don't even have to address it, yet you've wasted today dwelling on it. You've wasted today thinking about it. But if the trouble still exists the next day, then we handle it in that moment, and we face it, and we address it, and we deal with it. The conclusion of this message is this. It is the will and command of Jesus that his disciples should not be their own tormentors by worrying. They shouldn't make their journey through this world any more dark and unpleasant than it has to be by worrying about the things that are possibly to come. And Jesus wants the same for us in our lives. That we would not be troubled by the things that are still yet to come. But by our daily prayers, we can gain strength against our troubles. By seeking first the kingdom of God, let the peace, let us find peace and rest in our Lord, for he is our strength and our refuge. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your promises, Lord. And, and while we know that you are the God of this universe, Father, we also know that we struggle with, with things in our, in our daily lives because we often forget, Lord God, that you are walking with us, Lord, that you are carrying us, Lord, that you are by our side and, and that worry is not what you would have us to do. God, that you would have us to give our, our troubles to you, Father. You're so faithful to us. Lord, help us to trust in your word. Help us to trust more in your promises. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that you put this out here for us, Lord, that we can just glean from it all that you have in our lives, Father God. And we just praise you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.